Turn in your Bibles, please, to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Okay. Just a real quick announcement. Um, we had the uh, Reformation service Tuesday night, and for folks that missed that but want to basically read the essence of what I, um, what I taught, it's actually an extended version of what I taught. It's found in the website. In the front of your bulletin, it's the covenantpensacola.org. And it will be right there as soon as you go to the website. It's a, it's a blo- I put it as a blog post. And I will say, if you go to the website and look at that, and you look at the blog post section, you'll notice that the blogs tend to be polemical. That's, be- that's done on purpose. Um, I... I do watch debates, uh, verbal debates, and like them, but I myself prefer things in writing because you can go slower and cogitate. And so I save my polemical writing for, um, uh, for the blog posts. Matthew 5. Okay, you know what? Add, um, we're going to do Matthew 5. I want to do, um, no, let me read Matthew 5. Okay, Matthew 5, verse 1. I'm gonna, I'm, I want to read the Beatitudes, which is uh, 5, 1 through 12, and then I'll attach the similitudes, other verses 13 through 16. Um, Matthew 5, verse 1. Hear God's holy word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13. But you are the salt of the earth. If the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are our Father which art in heaven. Heaven is your throne. Earth is your footstool. We are at your feet where we belong. Almighty God, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit such that I would rightly divide and rightly preach this word both in content and even the manner to please you, O God and that you would edify, build up your people. If there are any people that have come into this uh, church this morning who heretofore are unconverted, that, Holy Spirit, you would use my weak preaching of your mighty word uh, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Glorify your name in all the earth. Uh, Encourage us. Uh, We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you've been 
with us. I'm in a series on the book of Acts in the morning and then the book of Numbers at night. And Numbers is um, it's a, it's a tough book for me, but it's a good challenge. The book of Acts is about the extension of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I love this book. Um, actually, I'm kind of thinking on potentially turning it into a written study, but that's uh, something for, further. So it's my practice when other things come into my life, namely if I go away to Presbytery, other things uh, come on. I like to take a break. It's kind of a natural break, maybe one week, a two-week break, and then do a bit of a topical on things which I, I like, things which are especially, to me, pastoral. This is one of the passages. So we're going to look at uh, one of the Beatitudes, and we're going to look at the, the um, blessed are the merciful. I want to look at verse 7 this morning, particularly. And then tonight I want to look at a psalm. So this is kind of just my practice. When I'm looking for things which are particularly um, uh, a pastoral, oftentimes I go to the psalms. So Psalm 26, I think, tonight. And then we'll look at this particular beatitude, blessed are the merciful. We've mentioned this many times before. If you've read, the, I hope you've read the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are not do this and become a Christian. This is, by the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be normative for the Christian. So these are kingdom rules for kingdom livers, dwellers, us, Christians. So this is, this, these things should be normative and the life of every true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that we should have them to the zenith, but all of us should manifest these things if we're joined to Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the, say a few things. We're just going to unpack the topic of being uh, a blessed people if we are a merciful people. Jesus says, basically, that merciful people are blessed people. And so we could put it in the negative. We can conclude that people that are not merciful are also not blessed. In the underlying Greek word, and I know tiny, tiny Greek, but I know enough to use a Greek dictionary or a lexicon. So it's makarios is in the Greek. Makarios can either be translated uh, blessed, as it is here, or it can be translated happy. The same thing is true in in the Hebrew. Asher. So Psalm 1. um, Blessed is the man. Asher is the man. It can be taken as blessed, Gifted by God, graced by God, that idea, or happy, same idea, joyful, something like that. So if we can say, blessed is the man who is merciful, or the woman, or the child, so the person that's not merciful is not blessed. So let's apply that to the happy, the joyful. Um, The person that is a merciful person is a happier person. And the person that is not as merciful, they are not as happy. Now, I know sometimes in our corner of the things, we don't like the the term happy, we would prefer joy, whatever term you would like. People that are disposed to to being merciful to people that need mercy tend to be happier people. If you've ever met a person that's not disposed to be merciful, but they're very disposed to be, say, harsh or judgmental or censorious, those people tend to be um, embittered people. And so we're looking at this general um, beatitude, the blessed are those who are merciful. I want to define our our terms when we come to the business of mercy. It's an inward disposition. It's an attitude of... um, Theologians talk about the faculties of the soul. The soul, and this is almost beyond my pay grade, but I'll just throw them out there. The soul has intellect, the soul has affections, and the soul has volition or will. So this is a disposition of the soul, that we think 
merciful thoughts about a person. We have merciful affections or emotions towards them, and thus our will in our words and our actions is disposed to be merciful to them. It is a disposition to show compassion or kindness to someone who is in need or someone who is in distress. And it often means, in context, towards one who is an offender, and actually one who is an offender that it is in one's power to say punish. So you have the idea of mercy is this kindness or compassion being bestowed on a sufferer hyphen sinner, guilty sinner. So it's a disposition to be compassionate towards a, a sinner. And so mercy is seen in the forbearance of a penalty, even when strict justice demands it. Mercy has a tendency towards leniency over and against what I would say is uh, severity. Uh, mercy has a mild disposition and a willingness to help sufferers and a willingness to help sinners. And some, some synonyms surrounding this word of mercy or merciful. Charitable, lenient, sometimes in our context, even in our kind of churches, we tend to look awry at the idea of leniency, but that's, that's coupled with the idea of mercy. So you have um, charitability, leniency, tolerance, not as our culture tolerates sin as it were, but tolerance. Some other words, compassionate, kind, forgiving, pardoning, all of those things are contained in this word uh, of mercy. Some antonyms perhaps would help us. Merciless, to be merciless, to be severe, to be stern. You remember the three, uh, the, pal- the parable of the talents or the minas, and God gives the gifts, and I think they're gospel gifts, and one gets five, and one gets two, and one gets one, and, and the five and the two bear fruit. They're true believers. And the last man he buries his, his talent in the ground. And why does he bury the talent? He says to God, I buried the talent in the ground. Why? Because I, I knew you were to be a what? An austere. The word in Greek is skleros. You're a skinflint. You're, you're unmerciful. That's what the unbeliever thinks about God. When God is full of mercy. And he says, well, you should put it in, <laughs> out to the bankers. So unmerciful, severe, stern, unyielding. And here's another one, unappeasable. It's the opposite of mercy. I want you to think of that. Let's say you're a guilty sinner in some area, and you have someone that's over you in authority. You want them to forgive you. You want them to be merciful to you, but they're unappeasable. It's not possible. They're unappeasable. What will eventually you do? you'll walk away because it's not possible to appease them. Our God says, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the kind, blessed are the gentle, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who can be lenient, blessed are those who are appeasable. One Reformed theologian, a Dutchman, a Brockel, says this. This is his definition of mercy. It is the inner motion of sympathy. These are words that we don't like in our hardcore 
Reformed churches, the inner emotion of sympathy in the heart of a believer, generated by the consideration of the misery of the other person. That's the sufferer. That's the sinner. That's what mercy is. It's kindness on the miserable, whether it's physical brokenness or spiritual brokenness. Consideration of the misery of the other person, thus motivating the believer to assist those in need. And I would argue that you should underline the word believer. I've said ad nauseum. Being in the church doesn't mean you're in Christ. Professing to believe in Jesus doesn't mean you actually possess Jesus. These things are to be normative for the believer. So if someone says, I'm a Christian, but they're not merciful, they're not appeasable, they're overly strict, what's a possibility? All men have one of two problems, either a justification problem or a sanctification problem. Justification means you're unconverted. You're in the church, but you're not in Christ. And the Bible says you will know them by their what? By their fruits. Beloved, Jesus says it is blessed to be merciful because it will reflect that we are truly in Jesus, that we have these things. So it's an inner disposition. In some way, it's an expression of love. Love for sinners and love for sufferers. And when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, we have as the great exemplar, God himself. And then we'll look at God in Christ. The Bible says this. I was going to read Exodus, I think it's 34. But I'll read Psalm 145, quoting Exodus. The Lord is what? The Lord is gracious and merciful. What else is the Lord? This is all part of mercy. He is slow to what? Blessed is the Lord. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is great in his loving kindness. That's a said. Saving mercy bound up in Jesus. That's our God. This is our God. He is gracious and merciful to sufferers, to guilty sinners. And he is slow to anger. Does God delight to show mercy to broken sinners? The Bible says he does. The Bible calls our God, I pray it all the, all the time, the Father of all what? Mercies. Mercies. Kindness, leniency, tolerance, slowness of anger, compassionate, care for the physical sufferer, for the spiritual sufferer, for the guilty sinner, underline this, for the sinner who, who, according to strict justice, what do we all deserve if it was just strict justice? All of us. How our Christian faith is built upon the context of mercy. From Genesis 3.15 onward, you can just stamp mercy. Mercy is the Lord. Compassionate, kind, on guilty sinners. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us what our Christ procured. That's mercy. The Bible says that God is long-suffering towards sinners and that he is slow to anger towards sinners. This is to be the disposition of Christians. We are not to say, well, I gave you two chances. That's it. Have you ever sinned against another human being at least once? How about twice? If you're married, 
If you are married, the person you love more on, most on the planet next to Christ will be your husband or your wife. And you'll sin against them in thought, word, and deed constantly. Constantly. Am I not right with that? And I don't even mean in a malicious way. Just because we fail. Mercy. Mercy. Long-suffering. Patience. Slowness. Leniency. What about us as parents to kiddos? Are we, we, we have rules in this house. And kiddo, you got one chance, two chances, three chances. And then what happens after ch chance four? After chance four, what? What do we do then? Out they go. Out you go if the kid's under 16. You're going into the can, right? Mercy. Well, you don't want to be too merciful. You, you, you can't be merciful enough. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the long-suffering. Blessed are the slow to anger. Are we the kind of people, man, we fly off the hand. We get angry. You're a guilty sinner. And you're going to get anger. That's not like our Lord. Praise God for that. This is the idea is God has pity on man. And I don't understand. I know people say sympathy and empathy. Maybe you can meet me at the end of the sermon and correct me. I don't know. I Pity. You have pity. And people say, I don't want pity. I want pity from God. And guess what? When people say they don't want pity, they want pity. <laughs> when they're pitiful, they want pity. I'm a broken sinner. We're not talking about the guy who doesn't think he's a broken sinner. Or doesn't think they're broken. I mean broken, broken. That's the kindness. The person that can't. They don't have bootstraps. They don't have boots. This isn't Vince Lombardi time. This is mercy on the broken. On the needy on the guilty. That's this. So what kind of people does the Bible say God extends mercy to? I prayed it. It comes from um, Luke 6. Should we be merciful to only good kind of people? Not a specific, but good people, right? The Bible says this about God, that our God is kind and merciful. Do you remember what it says? To what kind of people? Evil and ungrateful. I'll read it. Luke 6. We're just looking at the business of being merciful. Jesus says this. Love your enemies. What do you think of that? I mean, this is not lapsarianism. This is not infra-supra-sub-lapsarianism. This is not tough stuff. Love your enemies. If we're talking about the disposition of a Christian... When a non-Christian looks at you as a Christian, what should they see? You love God, and who else do you love? People. But do you love only good people? <laughs> we love our neighbor. We love our, our fellow Christians, just OPC Reform Christians. No. And we love what other kind of people? Our enemies. For Christ's sake. And do good. And lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he, God himself, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Now Jesus says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's what Christ is talking about. It's very basic stuff, but it is the stuff of true Christianity. Where is the mercy of our God bound up? 
but in whom is the mercy of our God bound up. That's where we see God is kind and loving and lenient and slow to anger and superabounding in compassion and pity. It's in the cross. It's in the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ is merciful to liars, to homosexual offenders, to fornicators, to thieves, to blasphemers, to murderers, and on and on and on. Guilty sinners. It's in Christ. When we extend mercy to the suffering sinner, who are we imitating? Our God. When we call down fire from heaven on the guilty sinner and want to damn them, who are we imitating? Not our Father. Not our Christ. We are called to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk in his footsteps, to follow the pattern that he gave. Our God gives us a direct command to be merciful, kind, slow to anger, compassionate to these needy people because our God in Christ has done that. Now, I want to say where this kind of mercy that Christ speaks about comes from and where it first doesn't come from. This, position, this disposition, remember, is the, is the characteristic of a believer. I mean a true believer. A person who is truly born again by the Holy Spirit and joined spiritually, salvifically to Jesus, not just formally to the church. This ability to be merciful to the broken sinner, the needy person, the miserable person, is not natural. So the natural person cannot do this. The non-Christian cannot do this. Now with that said, I want to say something about the natural man. And when I say natural man, I mean the non-Christian. The person that's not a Christian, they're not born again. They're a Hindu, they're a Buddhist, they're a Muslim, whatever they may be. They're, they're not a Christian. Can those unbelievers, non-Christians, practice mercy even to some degree? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, they can. There are, there are non-Christians that when we are broken, we might want to run to first. Right? If you're needy, let's say you're broke. You're financially broke. You don't have any money. You can't pay rent. You don't have any food. You can't pay for your medical bills. Are there, are there not unbelievers that you know if you called them right now and said, I, I can't eat? They're coming to your house. They're writing you a check. And then there are other people that you know are Christians and you say, I can't eat. And what do they say back to you? Be warm and well fed, brother. You're an Arminian. I'm a Calvinist. I'm not helping you. Unbelievers can, after fashion, keep the moral law externally. Externally. Our confession, chapter 16, article 1 through article 7, paragraph 1 through paragraph 7, they can't do a good work that's pleasing to God because they're not in Christ. But they can do certain things that are external. And the best that they could do is alleviate the physical suffering. But when we talk about being merciful to the sufferer, it's both externally in their body, but internally in their spirit. The unbeliever cannot address the misery of a person who needs Christ, 
who needs forgiveness, only we can. Only the Christian can be externally merciful to those physical and material things, but we can be internally, spiritually merciful to their spiritual needs because we have Christ. Does that make sense? So we, this is not natural. This ability to be, to be merciful like Christ, the Buddhist, the Hindu, the Muslim, the atheist, the Mormon, they cannot do this. They don't have the ability this is a gifted or graced ability for those in Christ. We, we look like him. We sound like him. We live like him for him. And I, and I also want to point out this. Not only does it not come from nature, it doesn't come from the law of God. Luther would talk about the division of the Bible being law and gospel. I like that division myself. It's not the only division that you can make in the, the, the Bible. The way that the, the, our confession makes about, uh, the, one of the ways to divide the Bible is what, God requires us to believe about him and what duty he requires of us. So belief, believe and do. But I do like the division of law, gospel. It's, it's simple for a simple preacher, for me. This ability to be merciful does not come from the law of God specifically. The law of God acts like, in, there are three uses to the, the law of God. This is your ordination test. One of the uses of the moral law is it, it acts as a tutor. This is a Galatians 3. It shows us that we're guilty sinners. But it doesn't drive us to the law. What does it drive us to? The gospel. The law has no mercy. This is why when people say, I, I, can, we, can we do more law preaching around here? Oy, 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 yeah, I, I suppose we can. I'll start with you. <laughs> the law has no mercy. The law admits no reconciliation for the guilty sinner. Breaking the law doesn't cast us back upon the law. And if it does, it's misery. It's to look at Sinai and stay at Sinai. Luther would say, if you look at Sinai, look at Calvary. Sinai is to drive us to Calvary. So this ability to be merciful doesn't come from nature, and it doesn't come from the law of God specifically. It comes from the gospel. It comes from those people that know they are guilty sinners, and they receive the forgiveness of God in Christ. That's the gospel. Does that make sense? And I, am a, I preach the law of God. I, I hopefully, rightfully so. But I, I mention that because there are Christians that sometimes don't understand the law and they don't understand the gospel. I've said this before. There is a man that says the law is the gospel. He's wrong. The Ten Commandments are not the gospel. The Beatitudes are not the gospel. The Beatitudes are the actions, the affections, the will of those that have received the gospel. The law is not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel, and the law is the law. The gospel is seen summarized in the Ten Commandments, further summarized in love God and love man. And when you fail in that, what does that do? It drives you to John 3.16. That's the gospel. Because we fail. So this ability to be merciful only comes from those who have repented of their sins and truly receive the Lord Jesus Christ as he is offered to us in the message of the cross. Now, what kind of people should we extend mercy to? We've already talked about to, um, to evil and ungrateful people. I think maybe I should say this, though it's not, I don't want to be provocative. Maybe this will be provocative. I, I suppose in, um, in different churches, we all swim in a little bit of a different context, so there are different kind of Sunday school pat answers to everything. Jesus is the Sunday school answer for everything in some churches. And then in, uh, in uh, Reformed churches, the pat answer is for God's glory. Why did God's glory? 
what in God's glory? Or are we, we young? Should we as Reformed Christians only extend mercy to the elect? We believe election. I believe election. The Bible teaches election. There are those who elect and those who are not elect. That would be the reprobate. Should we only be merciful to the elect? <laughs> so Spurgeon said he would preach only to the elect if he knew who they were. Right? But since he doesn't know who they are, Paul says in Titus 1, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Titus 1.1, 1, 1, he says, my ministry is for the elect. But everybody gets it, because we don't have the list. Is election true? Of course it's true. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. I don't know who is a Jacob. I don't know who is any. I mean, I can look at the externals, but only God knows. So for someone to say, well, we believe election, so only the elect should get mercy. If you have the list, then you're good to go. <laughs> but if you don't have the list, you should extend mercy to everybody that needs mercy. Remember, they're broken, they're miserable, and they're a guilty sinner. Then those are the prospects for us to extend mercy. Does that make sense? So, um, now you may say, I know sometimes we do this, again, talking on the election, um, what happens if they're not elect? I think my cousin Bobby's not elect. I think my cousin Sally is not elect. Where do you get that from Scripture? What did the Apostle Paul look like in Acts chapter 8 when he was killing Christians and chopping them up like cordwood? Did he look like the Apostle Paul? And then by the time we hit Acts chapter 9, what is he? He's the Apostle Paul. If you saw him in Acts chapter 8, what would you think? Katie, bar the door, run for the hills. That's a Jesus Christian hating person right there. What is he in Acts chapter 9? The greatest Christian that ever lived. We don't know who the elect are. That's my point with that. I, I, I do want to... We do not know who they are. And sometimes we look at an unbeliever and say they're not elect. Well, you can't say that. You absolutely cannot look at an unbeliever and say they're not elect. You cannot do that. And when we look at the people to extend mercy, all we're looking for is are they in need? And one of the ways to help us extend this kindness, kindness leniency, lack of severity, that kind of a thing, think about them like your mother or your father or your, or your children. Most people love their folks. I know there are kiddos that don't love their folks, and I know there are folks that don't love their kiddos. That comes from the fall. But most of us, naturally speaking, love our folks. And if we have children, we love our children. So when you look at a broken person, um, think of them like they're your mother or your father. Or think of them like they're your son or your daughter. And that will motivate you internally to be kind to them. We pass people all the time uh, on the road. We'll work for food and so on and so on and so on. You know, I used to think, boy, you know, I think just people should just get a, get a job. Just get a job. Just get a job. I think working is always better than not working, but I worked for a little bit of time, four years in the rescue mission uh, once a month. Beloved, there are folks that are not going to get a job. They can't work. I know we don't want to say that because it makes it messier. It's easier to just say, ah, you're a sturdy, the Puritans would call them sturdy beggars. You're just a sturdy beggar. Get a job. It's just easier. Then you don't have to be merciful. What happens if they have a mental problem? Well, we don't believe in mental problems in the church. Really? 
what happens if they're really broken? Like really broken? What, 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 about, what about that? Oh, uh, I don't know. What, if it, what happens if it's your mom that's broken like this? You, you see what I'm getting at? If we started to look at people in their need like they were our family members, it would make us have a softer disposition. Part of the business of extending mercy, which is, this is really uncomfortable, this idea is really uncomfortable, of extending mercy to broken sinners. The reason it's so uncomfortable is it makes us stop doing what we, we love to do more than anything else. What do we love to do more than anything else on the planet? Think about what? Someone say, think about ourselves. <laughs> This is so hard for us because we have to stop thinking about our idle self and get outside of ourself and enter into, and this is the really hard part, the misery of another person. That's this. We have to stop thinking, oh. <laughs> and then we have to get into the pain of another human being, Christian or not Christian. So we have to be students. This is why I'm not for communes. If the communes worked, I'd live on a commune. But they don't work, and it's antithetical to the scripture. We're, we, we are put into time and place. God puts us, and we're supposed to look around, and who are we looking for? The broken, needy people. <laughs> and who put those broken, needy people in our life? God did. And what does God want us to do? Go be merciful to them in thought, in word, in deed, all of it. Well, they're thirsty, go give them a cup of cold water. So should I start a campaign at church to have someone at church start a committee on giving people water? That might be nice, but besides the campaign at church to tell the minister and the minister's wife to go give cold water, what should you do? Go give them a cup of cold water. This is not rocket science. And then what happens if they're just what what happens if they're just miserable and broken? They're just broken, miserable people. And they've been broken and miserable for years. You know what happens when people are broken and miserable for years? People treat them like the plague. And people treat you like the plague. They don't know what to do. Part of being merciful is entering into that. That's what Christ did. Christ entered into our misery. Christ entered into our suffering. We are the miserable people. And then we seek to alleviate it in thought, in word, in deed. So as we look at this, Jesus says, you're blessed if you do these things. And you're not if you don't do these things. As you are looking around for, well, for me to carry out this, where are the people in need? Pray. I put a... I put a, I put a um, a, a, a quote by J.C. Ryle in our um, church Facebook this morning. J.C. Ryle says this, he is convinced that the root cause of most backsliding spiritual declension is prayerlessness. You stop praying. You stop praying for a day, two days, three days, a week, two weeks, ten weeks. You don't pray anymore. And then what happens? You don't look like this. So if we're desirous to obey Jesus, pray. I know it sounds simple. Just pray. Lord, give me a disposition to be kind to evil and unbroken, guilty people like you. Give me a Christ-like heart like you. And bring people that I can be merciful to. 
I'm going to tell you something. They're in your own family. They're in your own family. They're in the family of God here, this little church. What do we have in this little church? There's not one person here that doesn't need mercy for something in their life. Not one. Not one. There's not one family represented here that you don't know right now of a guilty, broken sinner. Now you say they're not worthy. That's the point. If they're worthy, that's called pay or recompense. Mercy's the opposite of that. Give them what they don't deserve. Like God in Christ. And God says, if you're merciful to them, then God will be merciful to you. This is not quid pro quo. But the notion is, as you live like Christ, it's going to testify that you truly belong to Jesus Christ. As you're loving, as you're kind, as you're a peacemaker, the Holy Spirit will assure you in your conscience that you've received all of those things for the Lord Jesus Christ. If we say we belong to Jesus, we ought to look like Jesus. Amen? Blessed are the merciful. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.